<laughs> I'd rather move the camera. So. Here we go. Been talking about James, and we've, I've got a chance to preach, I think, one or two sermons in the last couple months because it's been so crazy. Today I want to talk about um, prayer. And James talks a lot about prayer. And when I mention the word prayer, about half the people go to sleep. And that was me for a long time. When somebody would, would ask about prayer, I would immediately go, well, I'm a miserable prayer, and I don't see answers to my prayers, at least very often. And, um, and, and that, that was my experience. I, I wasn't a good prayer. I didn't, I didn't think I was good. And then I, I always heard that voice in my head, well, you're a miserable prayer, so don't even try. And so a lot of times I didn't. I was good at falling asleep when I started to pray. Anybody experienced that? And, um, but over the years as I've walked with the Lord, the Lord keeps calling me to talk to Him, to interact with Him. And that's what prayer is. We get so hung up on the idea that prayer is all about asking God for things, about making requests. And really, prayer is dialogue. That's what God is getting at. What's what He wants you to enter into with Him is dialogue. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to talk to Him. You know, I think about that verse in Matthew 7 where Jesus said that, and on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and do miracles and do that? in my name, and he says, I'm going to tell you to get away from me because I never knew you. And of course, you ask the question, well, if you did miracles and we did all these things in, in his name, well, how could we not know him? It's not, that we, it's not that we didn't know him, it's that he never knew us. We never talked to him about what was going on in our hearts and our lives. We didn't pray. So if I could, I would remove the word prayer from the vocabulary and replace it with something like dialogue or interaction. You know, when, when Brooke and I got married, we, we, <coughs> excuse me, we would use the example of a playing ping pong or tennis. When you hit the ball with the racket or the, or the paddle and it bounces and goes over the net, what's the other person, person supposed to do? They just sit and watch it go by and fall off the table? No, roll into a corner? No, they, they hit it back. And God is the one who is hitting the ball to you. He's the one that when you get up in the morning, it says to you, hey, how are you doing today? It may not say it in those words, but you just all of a sudden remember that God's there. And that means that He's... Wanting to talk, wanting to know who you are, what you think about, how you feel. I know that's a real hard thing for men in particular, to express their feelings, talk about how, they, how they're doing, but God is the one who's asking. And the cool thing about prayer is that nobody ever becomes professional at it. Nobody becomes the, uh, the successful, perfect prayer. We all are stumbling from day one until we enter the kingdom and learning how to share our hearts with God. You know, one of the Proverbs, he says, give me your heart. Really, I would translate that. Tell me what's on your heart. 
So this morning, as we look at what James says about prayer, the first thing I want to ask you is, are you talking to God? Are you responding when he hits that ping pong ball over the table to you? Does he know you? Does he know what's really going on inside of you? How many of you sat down and all of a sudden realized, oh, God, you're here. You know, God, this is, this is how I feel. I'm really frustrated about this. Or, Lord, I'm just feeling really rejected. I miss my kids, and they haven't called me in three weeks. It should become a natural thing where we just talk to God. You know, it used to be that when you drove down the road and you saw somebody in the lane next to you talking, that there was maybe something wrong with them. But nowadays, of course, we know that they've got headphones and they're talking and texting and so on with voice texting. And when you go to the grocery store and you see somebody else walking into Walmart and they're talking and going like this, you know, as they're walking along, and uh, you just know that they're, they've got their headphones on and they're, they're doing remote conversation via their cell phone. And so you don't think anything of it. In the old days, we would have think they need to go in the loony bin because they're just talking to imaginary people. But God wants us to be talking to Him all the time. He wants us to interact with Him. He wants us to walk with Him. That's what the word walking with the Lord means. It means that there's this in-step, ongoing relationship that you're developing. So let's look at three things that James tells us about prayer that are going to help you develop and be stronger in your prayer life. The first thing is a confidence that God who calls us to prayer is a generous daddy, a generous father. The second thing we're going to talk about is motives, which are really important. And the third thing are some purposes for prayer. <clears throat> so let's look at um, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. James tells us, and he's talking to believers that are scattered all over the Roman Empire, if any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So let's take a look at this little passage. There's a lot in there. First thing he says is, any of you lack wisdom? So I ask you this morning, anybody here have challenges in your life that you could use some wisdom with? Financial, medical, health insurance, retirement, career, schooling. Anybody need wisdom? Yeah, I do. I do. I've got all kinds of stuff going on in my life. I've got three adult or two adult sons. One not. Well, I've got one in heaven too. So two adult sons here. Five grandchildren. We're all trying to coordinate plans and do things together. I need wisdom, and that's just one small area. If you need wisdom, what does James tell us to do? 
That's God. That's wonderful. And he's telling us that God is accessible. Ask him. It seems so simple, so easy. You know, it says, Jesus said, uh, you have not because you ask not. Wow. I mean, if I don't ask, nothing's going to happen. Well, that indicates that. If you don't ask, God might not do anything. Maybe he's waiting for you to ask for wisdom. Of course, we're told to ask according to his will. That means you don't just say, God, I want a Cadillac this time instead of a Mercedes-Benz. Cadillac, well, maybe I want a Mercedes-Benz or I want a BMW. You know, we need to pray and ask God, what's your will, Lord? What do you want? What's most going to glorify you and help me to fulfill what you want me to be and to do? When you ask that way, when we put his will first, that's good. That's, God responds to that. So notice here also, this is that God, ask God who gives generously. That is a characteristic, as I prayed earlier over the offering. God is generous. He's a lot like Bryce. You guys see Bryce, wave at Bryce. Bryce has grandchildren and a great-grandchild. When you look at those grandkids and those great-grandchildren, do those kids look like they're loved by their grandpa? Oh, man, they really do. Because he has a generous heart towards his grandchildren. And God has a generous heart towards you and me. That's why Bryce is so generous, because he's made in his father's image. So generosity should come naturally. But we've got to keep remembering that God is not stingy. He loves to bless us. But he wants to bless us in ways that don't hurt us. Sometimes we ask for the wrong things because we don't realize the implications of what they might do to us. It says that he gives rain to the just and the unjust. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 5. In other words, God not only generous to the good people, he's generous to the people that aren't good. Aren't you glad for that, especially where we live? We need rain, and I don't care what kind of farmer it is, we all need rain, and God gives us rain. We could use a little more, Lord. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see it sooner than later. And then I love this thing. That he does it without finding fault. In other words, God's not looking for your weaknesses. He's not looking to disqualify you. He's looking to bless you. And we need to go to a God like that. And, then he, and, then we, and that talks about that we have to come to Him in confidence. And that word faith simply means really to be confident in who God is and how He relates to you. Faith opens the door. But what is it faith in? Is it faith in a promise? Is it faith in a formula? I'd say it's more faith in a person. It's faith in who He is. Not so much what He does, but who He is. And so when I come to the Lord, and when it says to come here, in faith, it says you must believe and not doubt. It's coming and saying, God, this is who you are. I know this is who you are. And this is why I'm coming and I'm asking in confidence. It says if we can't ask in confidence, then we're like a wave that's tossed by the wind. You know, there's two forces when you see a wave on the ocean. There's the, there's the, uh, the, the wave is, is affected by the wind, which blows it. And it's really cool when you see the, 
wind and it creates white caps when it blows hard and it blows the tops off the waves and, and they're beautiful. They're white and they spray and it's just wonderful. And then the other force is the sea around the wave. So the wave is affected by the wind and it's affected by the sea. Now that's interesting because in the Old Testament, particularly the Scripture, well I guess the New Testament also, the sea is a metaphor for the world, the people of the world. And the, and the wind is a metaphor for, anybody? Holy Spirit. So here you are, you're the wave. You've you got the Spirit of God blowing on you, but you've got the sea around you trying to influence you too. And so that's why he says like you're a wave that's tossed in, this, in the ocean. In other words, you're going to go like that. You're going to be wishy-washy. In fact, the word he used there, um, double-minded, literally means to be two-souled. To have two souls, to have two, two things going. It says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Because they're, they're double-minded and unstable and all that they do. Genesis 49.4 talks about a guy, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, named Reuben. He was the firstborn son of Jacob. And it says about Reuben, when, when, when Jacob sums it up on his deathbed and pronounces blessings and so on on his kids, he says about Reuben, you're as unstable as water. Isn't that water pretty unstable, isn't it? How many of you stepped in water? You, didn't, you couldn't walk on it, right? At least I hope you couldn't. Maybe you will one day. But um, it reminds me of a song that I heard um, years and years ago by a guy named Bob Cole. It, it's, it's called uh, One Foot in the Rowboat. He talks about a guy who's got one foot in the rowboat, one foot on the dock, half of his trust in Jesus, and half in the company stock. And he says, I know the opportunity is going to knock, knock on your door. Which way are you going to go? What happens when the boat moves away from the dock. Yeah, you're going to go into the water and you're going to find out how stable water is. So what James is saying here is that people who get their prayers answered are people that have made up their mind to put their confidence only in God. They're not going to be tossed by the influence of the world on them. They're going to say, God, this is what I need and because I know who you are, I just trust you for it. And I'm going to walk with you until I see the answer to my prayer. That's the kind of prayers that we need to pray. And the cool thing is, is whether you're a brand new believer or you've been walking with the Lord for years, you can experience God's answers to prayers because anybody can choose to put their confidence in God. You don't have to be 10 years old in the Lord or 20 years old in the Lord. You can put your confidence in God right now. I've seen some brand new baby Christians that prayed a, a prayer of faith and saw people healed and that older believers didn't have the confidence to pray for. So wasn't that a wonderful healing testimony this morning that Bianca shared? It was so powerful. And I'm just so excited about that. And I, I want to... I don't think it got on the recording because it started. we started the service with it. But we can re-record it. So we will do that. We're trying to make sure we record those kinds of things. We're still getting our... Still getting our ducks in a row there. Okay, the second, second thing that James teaches us about faith 
is that motives are everything. Motives are everything. In other words, if you, if you ask with the wrong motives, you're going to have a problem. So let's read verse chapter 4, verse 3. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you can spend what you get on your pleasures. All right? Very simple. So what are some wrong motives when you're praying? I want to hear an example. Selfishness. Very good, very good. Excellent. So I want it for me, not thinking about anybody else. What else? Okay, to be heard rather than to talk to God, which is kind of like pride. Okay, anybody else? You ever hear anybody say, uh, Lord, bless them with a brick? What kind of a motive is that? <laughs> and revenge. <laughs> so... There's lots of wrong motives out there. And so James is saying, think about why you're asking. And uh, the particular one that he talks about there is that you want to spend what you get on your pleasures. Okay? It's all about me. And God wants us to be praying for His glory and an increase of His kingdom. And He also wants us to be praying for the, to bless other people, not just ourselves. There's nothing wrong with asking God to provide for us. In fact, Jesus said to pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. Is that for me? Yes, that's for me. But he doesn't say, give me this day my, my new, new BMW or whatever. So he wants us to pray that is the prayers of things that line up with his purposes and his will. So is pleasure wrong? I mean, we read God takes pleasure in things. So the question is, do we have pleasures or do pleasures have us? Hmm? And what, how much of a hold does a particular thing that you enjoy have on you? Is it taking your time and your money to such a degree and your affections and your thinking to such a degree that God is relegated to second place? So think about your favorite hobby, what you spend time on, what you put money into, and what you think about. Now, I've been through a whole bunch of those, and uh, a lot of them had to do with, with sheet metal, old cars. <laughs> and I've, God has been faithful to help me cut off a lot of that stuff. But the question is, is that where is God in, in, in the, when you look at the amount of money and the amount of of uh, time you spend and the amount of your attention you give to things, is God getting at least as much as that hobby that you enjoy or that dream that you're hoping to accomplish at some point? Indulging pleasures is an issue. That's where we focus on meeting our pleasures. Galatians 5, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So I want to just read a few scriptures about indulging in pleasure. Kind of bring perspective to us. Whoever loves pleasure, loves pleasure, will become poor. Whoa. Is that a shock? 
Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Then Luke 18, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear the word that is, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So if you're focused on your pleasures, you're not going to mature. Remember we talked about becoming whole and, and becoming complete people. That was the beginning of James. 1 Timothy 5, 6, But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, spiritually dead, even while she lives. And 2 Timothy 3 talks about people who are treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. <clears throat> Titus 3, 3, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. I just read a statistic that says that it's estimated that 40% of Christian men are watching pornography on their computers on a regular basis. 40%. That's called enslavement. It's a very serious and deadly addiction that will ruin your family and your marriage in time. Hebrews 11.25, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin in Egypt. 2 Peter 2, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. In other words, there are some people in church that pleasure is really their God more than God is. And it says they're reveling in their feasts with you, in their pleasures while they feast with you. And finally, let's talk about the pleasure that we really need to embrace. Psalm 16, verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Really, God is the one, only one that can really satisfy your soul. He's the only one that's really provides pleasures. All of life's pleasures can be enjoyed more when God is our number one goal. It's then they don't have a hook in us. So I encourage you to do a pleasure assessment of your life. To answer the question, what is my go-to for a serotonin or dopamine boost? Those are those chemicals that go off in your brain when you do something like eat chocolate or something that gives you great joy. What's your go-to? How much time do you spend on it? And where is God in my pleasures, the things that give me pleasure? Important things to think about. Number three, third thing, last point. I'm going to share four prayer purposes that James talks about. In chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, he tells us some really good reasons to pray. Okay? First, let me just read this first. Is anyone among you in trouble? Anybody in trouble? <laughs> Let them pray. Is anyone happy? That'd be a better response in here, right? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. That's where we get that. Got the oil over here. Two little bottles of it. They'll anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Oh, excuse me, I moved too far. And the prayer of faith, the prayer offered in faith, will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm going to read the next verse anyway. Elijah was a human being, even like we are. He prayed earnestly. It wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So let's look at these real quick. First thing is, are you in trouble? How many people here have ever been in trouble? Come on. Everybody's here. We've got a lot of liars in this group. So everybody's been in trouble. He says, when you're in trouble, you don't have to listen to the devil say, you screwed up, God's not going to help you, right? He says, if you're in trouble, what? Pray. In other words, turn to God and talk about it. Ask His help. Ask Him to forgive you if you got yourself in trouble. If somebody else got you in trouble, ask Him to help you forgive them. But when you are in trouble, cry out to God. He's there. He wants to help you. Like we said earlier, He wants to give you wisdom, which might be how to get yourself extracted out of that mess. Okay? Okay, the second one. Okay. I've got to tell you one quick story. Uh, my friend Wyatt was out in the woods with, with his, uh, he had a, um, a Bronco, Ford Bronco. And um, he, uh, a hawk was flying around and he hit, the hawk hit his windshield. And, and uh, no, I think it was a hawk. It was bigger, it was an eagle. Oh, no. So he got out of the truck, and he went over and he looked at this bird, and it looked like it might still be alive, so um, he put it inside of his vehicle. <laughs> Don't ask me why. And uh, it woke up. And he jumped out very quick. And, um, and when it got done, there was nothing left of his interior. And then he just opened the door and it flew away. And uh, he learned a really big education. He got himself in trouble. But at least he uh, got out of the truck before the eagle got to him. So he's the same guy that came across a mother bear and two cubs and got chased and he had to jump over a cliff into a lake. And then the bear drove in also and he had to swim... <laughs> to get to the other side and get back to his truck. So, I mean, he tells me these stories. I think they're true. <laughs> I really... If you knew Wyatt, you would believe they're probably true. So, so if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, what? Sing songs to God. That's also a form of prayer because it's communicating, right? So it really is. So praise God. If you're happy, sing to Him. Give Him credit. Proverbs 3 says to acknowledge Him in all our ways. Singing to Him is a great way to acknowledge Him. And if you're sick, what? Yeah, call for the elders of the church, which is the older, uh, more mature believers, leaders of the church, and have them anoint you with oil and pray for you in the name of Jesus. And what will happen? The sick person, 
will be made well. Yeah. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. So if you've sinned, it also tells you to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Interesting, that word healed involves um, that factor too. Confession of sin often results in healing. And the reason that he throws, he talks about Elijah in here is he wants us to realize that people that have prayed, prayed amazing prayers with great power were not exceptional people. They were human. He says Elijah was only human. He's trying to, James is trying to tell you and me that, hey, Elijah's nobody impressive. He's nobody special. In fact, he ran away from Jezebel. But he's trying to tell you and me, don't be afraid to pray bold prayers. Don't be afraid to ask for miracles. Don't be afraid to pray for people. I was so excited. We were somewhere the other day. I don't even remember where. And I got to pray for two people for healing, people that don't come to church. I just got to say, hey, can I pray for you? Because they were obviously needing prayer. And they said, oh, yeah, please. And I did. And I'm trusting that they'll have a testimony that I'll get to hear about, like Bianca got to hear. So finally, James summarizes it, and this is going to work out beautiful time-wise. He says there at the end of verse 16, and I don't like the way this translation says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's really a miserable translation. What it really says is the active or energized prayer of a righteous person works with power. Another way, another version says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What's talking about there is that your prayer can't be just this wimpy one-liner. I mean, I'm sure people can pray powerfully with one-liners, but, but what it's saying is that there is something in you that rises up that says, I'm going to go to God with this, and I'm going I'm to beat down the doors of heaven because I really believe that I'm supposed to pray this. It's a prayer that's, the, on the one translation, I think the King James uses the word fervent. That's where we get the word fiery. Fiery. And so it's a prayer that is not like, a, oh Jesus, please help me if you want to, if it's your will. No, it's a prayer that says, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name because I believe you want to do this. And so I'm just going to declare your will and speak over this situation with conviction and confidence in who you are, Lord, that this is your will. I'm going to call it forth in Jesus' name. That's that kind of confidence that we need to move in. You can't move in that confidence until you put all your balls in His court. Until you've, you're all in with Jesus. When you are completely His, as much as you know how, you can pray that kind of a bold prayer. If you're double-souled, like we talked about earlier, where you're not really sure if you really want to follow Him completely, you're kind of half in the world and half with God, don't pray that kind of prayer. God's looking for people that, whose hearts are completely His so He can show Himself strong on their behalf. And that's the kind of prayers I'm hoping to hear you guys praying. It's the kind of prayers I want to pray. 
the, the earnest or fiery prayer of a righteous person, and that's that person that is not righteous because they do all, I'll keep all the rules, do everything right. No, it's, it's about a person who's put their confidence in God and they've received the gift of God's righteousness because their faith is in Him, their confidence is in Him. It's not about keeping rules, it's about walking in relationship with Jesus. It says that fiery prayer of that righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And it likens it to that prayer of Elijah who said, no rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. Then he said, rain, you can start again, and it started raining. That's powerful. But James doesn't give us that Old Testament story just as kind of like, oh, it's a cute story. He's giving that to us because he expects you and me to begin to pray powerful prayers that are even prayers that would blow people away. Now, people have mocked Pat Robertson years ago when he told a hurricane to move away from the coast that was coming to destroy America, but the hurricane moved. So whether that was Pat Robertson pretending and being religious, like a lot of people said, or whether Pat Robertson had a conviction to pray, and so he prayed and suffered the mockery of the world who didn't believe in a God that he believed in. I'd rather go with Pat Robertson trusting and believing in God because that's what the Bible tells us. To, that's how it tells us to pray. So it works. Prayer works. So let me complete uh, finishing up here with just a few questions real quick. What is your hindrance to prayer being effective in your life today? Is it because you haven't fully got into God's court, you're not fully all in with Him, that you have not decided that Jesus is really Lord of your life? Because that's something you can change today. You can come and humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. And all of a sudden, you're going to begin to experience power in your life when you do that. And again, prayer is not just to please you. It's, it's for God's purposes that we would represent Him in this. But that's the starting place is surrender. When we surrender, then God can begin to move in us and through us. So what's your, what's your hindrance to prayer? Maybe you're just not praying. Maybe you're just not asking. That's the first thing he said. Are you in trouble? Pray. In the very beginning, the first verse we read, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Starts with us at least stepping out and praying. Are you asking in confidence based on who God has been to you and who the scriptures tell you that God is and will be for you? Are you double-minded, double-souled? You've split your affections up to where God doesn't really have your heart. Don't pray. Don't expect anything, James tells you. Are your motives pure? Is God first? Are you seeking to put, to uh, take your answer so that you have your own pleasures met? Or are you praying for God's purposes, God's will, and for the people around you? Are your prayers fervent or are they just kind of watery? Have you confessed any sins that you're aware of? So you can get that behind you so you can have confidence. And finally, 
Are you sick and you need to be prayed for, anointed with oil and prayed for? So we can do that this morning right here. I can grab Terry will come up and Brooks here and maybe some of the other leaders of our church will be glad to pray for anybody that is sick and needs to be healed. So, so I hope this morning that James blessed you with some understanding about the Father's heart towards you and your amazing opportunities to approach Him, to dialogue with Him, to pray, to ask Him for whatever you need, whether it's wisdom or to get you out of trouble or to heal you. Prayer is an amazing thing. It's a journey that we all can just keep going on and keep growing in. I went to it when we went to the church in Oregon, we had a group of ladies that would gather every week to pray. They would just come and meet at the church. I don't forget whether it was, when it was, but they would meet to church and they would just pray over the various needs and so on. And I thought, well, good, God, there's people in this church that will pray because I'm not a prayer. The Lord spoke to me and said, oh, yes, you are. I want you to learn to be an intercessor. It's like, me? <laughs> I was shocked. And so I started going to the prayer meeting. And I'll tell you what, God got a hold of me. And uh, just over time, I began to just love to pray, love to talk to God. I started talking to God everywhere I was going. And um, today, I love to pray. I love to just have time with the Lord. I love to put worship on and just love Him. I love to talk. I love to pray with other people. I love to talk to Jesus wherever I go. And I pray that would be your increasing experience today. So close your eyes. How many people here this morning can say, I want an upgrade in my prayer life? Raise your hand. All right. I just want to agree in prayer with you. So, Father, you see our hands. You see, Lord, that we are people that want to be powerful prayers. We, want to, we are people, Lord, that want to... Have, pray with authority. We want to pray your will. We want to pray with confidence. Lord, we want to be people, Lord, that you can use to even declare and speak those things that you put on our hearts. But Lord, we ask that you would take us to a new level. Jesus, take me to a new level in prayer in my life. Lord, I pray that this church, as we grow in holiness, as we grow in surrender, as we grow, Lord, in just stepping out in faith, you would increase us, Lord, in prayer. You would increase us, Lord, in you. And I just thank you for this morning for each one that raised their hands and their arms. And I ask that you would just bless them now, Lord, with an increase. And we just praise you and thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So anybody who wants to be personally prayed for, come on up to the front as we close. And then I'm gonna, we're going to see you over at the uh, shelter. Come on over for the picnic. We're going to start eating. The food all arrives around 1230. So it gives you a chance to run home and put your shorts on. All right. Bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. We'll hope to see you there.